Seek the good? Well, it's not finished yet. It's, it's going to say seek the good. Seek the good? Yeah, you know, it's, it's like a motivational thing. Uh, it's like an inspirational mantra. Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of the Pop Culture Club in which I'm interviewing a trio of filmmakers that I, I guess are more, more or less new to the world of independent cinema, but they created and distributed successfully their first feature, and that first feature happens to be Meathead Goes Hog Wild, which is kind of like After Hours with still static shots and blood. Um... Maybe picture Nicholas Winding Refn doing his take on Fight Club to some extent. I happen to be a huge fan of the movie and really curious about the process of putting it all together. Uh, and it is now readily available on Amazon Prime, and we'll tell you where else you can check out the film at the end of the interview. First of all, let's just go around the room and have everyone introduce yourself so the listeners can uh, get an idea of who's who and what role you played in getting this feature made. Oh, I'm Zach Harris. I uh, co-wrote, co-directed the film. I'm, I'm Sean Pierce. I co-wrote and co-directed <laughs> And Kevin Klein also co-wrote and co-directed, and uh, I also played the the title character in the movie. And I loved your work in Fish Called Wanda, Kevin Klein. Don't call me stupid. Don't ever call me stupid. That's <laughs> <laughs> really fun, I have to say. Well, but I also think this is something you should be very proud of, of course. You guys all got together. Where did the general idea for this film come about? If I recall, it became a feature-length film, when you had uh, success with this concept of a man turned animalistic, when it was originally a short film, um, yeah. we we uh, we stood in line at a, a meatheads for uh, to get a uh, free meatheads for a year, and it <laughs> it was about to expire, and we had like a couple hundred dollars, so we we said let's make a short with the new camera we got, and uh, let's just do something that involves a couple hundred dollars worth of meat. So that's where, that was the uh, the inception for the short film. But then after we watched it, we we're all kind of like, that was fun. And then <laughs> about three months, what was it, four or five months later, we were like mm. sitting around and it was like, I think there might be more to that character. Just the, the primitive, like masculine id, just yeah. like mm. that being distilled from six minutes to like fleshed out to a feature, like. I think there might be more there, so that was kind of the inception of the idea. Did Meatheads let you film there? They um, didn't let us. No. <laughs> <laughs> we did film there. Nice. Yeah. That's, hey, man, I think William Friedkin for the French Connection, he didn't get permits. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're... <a> company. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think the opening credits and first scene just set the tone uh, and really establish the themes and how it's portraying expectations of masculinity and it being amplified to some degree. And then we get to witness how this guy is slowly broken down by those expectations and social norms. But obviously, I'm very curious, did you feel it was necessary to set this 
in Chicago in order to emphasize those themes and let the city itself essentially play a role. I think we just ended up, we just said it in Chicago because that's where we live. And True. That's the world we know. Um, so we would shoot it there. But so that we, I think the city became part of the script in a, in a huge way because we were in that environment. But I think, you know, if we lived somewhere else, we would have told the same story. Um, it, I mean, it would have been a different story, but we could have done a similar story in terms of the de-evolution of this character. You know, being from Chicago and recognizing a lot of the locales, um, and, you know, I mentioned this when I actually interviewed John McNaughton, because for Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, he went out of his way to find really interesting locations that you would normally see. And I think you guys also did the same thing. And it was it must have been an interesting experience with the location shooting, uh, or lo- location scouting, I should say, for this film as well. Just trying to decide where um, to film certain locations. Yeah, I'd, I'd say we definitely kind of thought about it in terms of scenes based on where we set them in the city. It was a lot of like where we went, or there's a scene towards the end where he kind of goes through the entirety of the city and it was kind of important for us to get like a different feel going from the south side to the north side so there's definitely kind of in terms of scouting we wanted to show like the city and just a more three-dimensional city than like when a lot of shows represent a city definitely yeah you know john hughes just stuck to the north side most of the time (laughs) yeah Yeah, we definitely were not aiming for john hughes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no this main character has a number of nervous breakdowns that start out you know, kind of funny, but then become very jarring and ugly. So I'm curious, how do you find the balance between comedy and pathos here? Uh, what was the method of acting out those scenes? Uh, did Kevin have to like tone it down, turn it up? Just how did you get into this frame of mind for this character? Well, it's... Uh I don't know. I was just channeling some really dark stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of cathartic to uh, have a situation where you can just kind of explode um, because it's not something like, obviously I don't act anything like this character in real life and people should not do that. So it's like, I don't know. Uh, I got it. It's kind of almost like uh, if I was in a metal band and I was just like screaming, like the, the, yeah. I imagine that people who are doing that, uh, like metal vocalists probably get something. They definitely get something out of it, and like a catharsis. So the acting was almost a similar thing to that. Um, but in terms of toning it down or or beefing it up, that was something we would all decide on. Um, and I think we kind of knew when writing the script, like which scenes it was was going to be like at eleven, and which scenes would be more toned down. But that was definitely Zach and Sean uh, letting me know what to do there. Even when you're getting into that um, primal, animalistic uh, sort of transformation, I thought of American Werewolf in London without the, you know, makeup effect. Yeah, I mean, we definitely referred to that as the monster transformation scene. Oh, yeah. Definitely that kind of feel. And then you brought up after hours earlier, we kind of thought of like, I know an early discussion we had was like, what if like Werner Herzog directed after hours was kind <laughs> of like the kind of the more 
getting at like the psychological side of like what that would do to somebody and like to put someone through that who's like already kind of at a breaking point and seeing how they handle it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was also thinking about how the first idea I had out of high school was, you know, someday I would love to write a script and make a movie that is essentially if David Lynch directed After Hours. Because, <laughs> like, I'd seen Lost Highway and then I saw After Hours pretty close together. It was my first mm-hmm. viewing of After Hours and I was just kind of like, yeah, how do, you, how do you bridge these two styles together? Obviously, the camera work isn't as manic <laughs> as yeah. Scorsese yeah. and After Hours. So I'm curious about the, the choices in terms of cinematography because a lot of it is, again, sort of still static shots and were sometimes at a distance and what really established the you know camera work to be what it is well we really like the idea of there's a lot of these sort of uh like mental de-evolution into madness movies and they're always very manic so we kind of like the idea of playing against that Hmm. and doing it in a more observational tone yeah just because that really isn't something that we had seen before um in that application but we were also, at least I remember talking a lot about Roy Anderson and being really inspired by him. Yeah, a lot of Roy Anderson and uh, Robbie Moeller. Um, of course. Mm-hmm. We, and then a little bit of Antonioni with just kind of like being feeling like you're kept at arm's length from this like very personal situation. Kind of just you're looking in and seeing this guy who like is desperate for companionship in a lot of ways, but like you see you kind of kept at arm's length yeah and that's that's a really great choice i, I you know i thought of even michael haneke to some degree too but mm-hmm. i i because there's like there's also this intimacy watching somebody self destruct too i mean it's not always like a camera at a distance you're you know cuz obviously his the kitchen is very small space you're pretty much right with him as he's devouring all that meat um and so I like that aspect of it where sometimes, you know, we have to be at a distance when he's going mad. And then other times we're sitting with him at the dinner table practically. <laughs> so that was a good choice for sure. Um, I mean, because I'm so interested in the psychology of, you know, a film and the characters that are created, I'm interested in how you guys feel about this main character. I mean, the, the feeling I got is that the hunger, both literally and metaphorically, this character is feeling can equate to a sense of longing. I really felt strongly about like the impetus for his breakdown being that he was unable to get his food delivered simultaneously while he was being inundated with images from social media and dating sites. So this com- combination proved to be... Uh, just <laughs> a very destructive mix for him. So I'm just curious how you each feel about the character and what you're trying to say with this film, I guess, thematically. Well, uh, I think it's a character that it's very hard to have empathy for. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just kind of the worst person. He embodies all of the terrible things about... Uh, what being a, a white male in society right now does to your psyche. Um, he just kind of embodies all of those asshole qualities. Um, and 
But at the same time, the movie does have pathos, like you mentioned. So I think it's like trying, trying to like look at the the worst qualities that you can see um, within different people. But then I'm trying to say like, okay, that's that's okay. But I also think like not that it's not that it's okay, but just that um, it's obviously not okay. Anything he does, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I like the idea of trying to have empathy for people who are completely crazy. I can't do this again. I I just can't. Um, so I think I was attracted to the idea of having empathy towards the the worst possible character. Um, but then also at the same time, I mean, it's a comedy because I think we can laugh at this guy and how pathetic his his frustrations really are. Like he's his his uh, frustrations are, you know, it's all such first world problems. And he is so, um, so incredibly caught up in his own life. That is, it's like, it's kind of pathetic. And I think that's, what's funny about it, but it's also sad. Sean, how do you feel about the character? I feel like uh, for me, the character, like he has a lot of the same thoughts that like I might have like at my lowest point, Mm -hmm. it's just the difference of the characters that he acts on them. It's like, you know, it's like kind of like taking a character who you have those, those passing thoughts where you go like, and then afterwards you go, man, I, I really need to focus on being better. And then yeah. like, but that character, they just kind of acts on them. So it's kind of like, it's relatable in the sense that a lot of the things that he starts off doing, I can relate to. It's just, he, he acts on them and takes them to the next level. Like, right. I mean, I, I've been very upset that my Grubhub or delivery food yeah. is like 10 minutes late. <laughs> yep. I just, I just didn't call someone and just like verbally berate them and then <laughs> cut my hair and rob from my work. So like, it's like, it takes a kernel of a, the start point And then it's like, almost like the worst case scenario fantasy of like what someone would do in that situation. And just the sense of sort of inflated ego and entitlement and that being a subconscious thing. And, um, yeah, and just how it uh, sort of just loops itself into getting worse and worse as the story continues. Yeah, because he tries to be a better person, exactly. but it's just from his twisted perspective. Yeah. Like, by there's, he's just very misguided. So it's it's like through that he keeps propelling himself were like worse and worse. And he's just, ju- is constantly justifying, which is something like, I know I struggle with is justification, but I, I, I think I'm a little better at it than, <laughs> than, than me. Then. Yeah, no, that completely makes sense. And it's really interesting to think about because yeah, I do have moments early on where I can empathize and, you know, certainly I've been upset, um, <laughs> waiting for my Grubhub and just like you know scrolling through photos and kind of feeling bummed out, but yeah, it's it must be like just an interesting idea to channel all those frustrations and the absolute darkest thoughts that maybe you have, and just have them come come out you know th- creatively by constructing this character, much like I think. You know, Scorsese would have done with Travis Bickle as like the epitome of his darkest, bleakest moments in his life. So I think there's a little bit of correlation with that 
in terms of just having this protagonist who you want to empathize with because there are certain aspects of his personality and what he does that maybe you felt yourself. But then, yeah, it goes to the worst possible scenario as almost like a cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so that's that, that's good. That maybe maybe people will be like, oh shit, maybe I should never, you know, I shouldn't call up, uh, <laughs> you know, customer service and berate them. Yeah, yeah. they're people too. Yeah, because yeah. you're just projecting what you're dealing with on other people, and yeah. yeah, we're all guilty of that. But hopefully, you stop at some point. And this is a character that has no stopping point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should uh, start showing this film in high schools now, um, just so certain <laughs> white males don't. I would love it. Go out, of, go out, get out of control. Yeah, right. Well, that's the other thing is it's this breakdown movie that ends with violence, and that's yeah. you know all these mass sh- shootings and things. It's all like entitled white dudes who are just are not getting laid, and they just get super upset and absolutely go, mm-hmm. go crazy and shoot people and it's just it's completely insane so it's like trying to understand that that mindset and how people get to that point yeah and i think it's interesting territory to go down in light of you know like you mentioned some of the shootings we've seen and the political coverage and it's hard not to think about racial issues and white privilege with the lead character thinking he can be essentially the white savior and make a difference by giving away free meat in what appears to be a neighborhood he's probably not used to visiting very often. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you think the film reflects sociological issues and your experiences in Chicago or what we've seen on the news recently? Seek the good? Well, it's not finished yet. It's, it's going to say, seek the good. Seek the good? Yeah, you know, it's, it's like a motivational thing. Uh, it's like an inspirational mantra. Inspirational mantra? What the fuck are you talking about? That sounds stupid to me, fuck boy. Well, well, hey, look, uh, I'm, I'm with Broncos Butcher Shop and working around giving out free samples. Uh, I've got a whole, whole bunch of meat in here. You guys want some? What's your favorite kind of meat? I think you need to stand the fuck up. Okay. Um... <laughs> I know that's a heavy question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that uh, in some ways we like for the film to kind of speak for itself in regards to its social issues. Like, it's kind of what people bring to it. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I do think that it was something we were conscious of while we were making it with the kind of the neighborhoods he goes through and kind of, you know, you see a lot of things on the news and uh, you, it's a part of your city, but you, you're very separate from it. And you kind of think like, oh, I wish I could help, but you don't really know exactly what to do. And I think everyone kind of has that gut response of like, I, sh- I wish I could help, or I think I could help. But yeah. it's kind of that, that thought process that very few people actually act on. You know, it's like, hmm. I think everyone thinks that there's certain things on the city that could be improved with the kind of the certain neighborhoods, but very few people kind of actually follow through with outreach. So, and, and also I will say that it's a film that we made two years ago. So it's it's actually just kind of gotten more relevant as it's Definitely. gone on, yeah. which was like it's kind of crazy to think that. I mean, it's I'm sure there was a conversation, but it's definitely. I mean, it's every day, especially with the election and stuff like that. The South Side is being brought up in presidential debates and certain right. things. It's definitely much more like when we started making the movie, Chirac wasn't even 
announced. You know, like certain <laughs> things like like we mm. we premiered six months before Chirac even came out. So it's it's an interesting thing where like these issues are being talked about a lot more now. But when two and a half, three years ago when we were writing the film, it was kind of just like it was it wasn't as prevalent as it is now yeah it's it's really amazing when films can do that sort of grow more relevant over time um but i'm i'm hoping more people check this out on amazon prime now and you know the, in the in the climate that we're living in i think they'll uh be able to find those um, sociological issues and try to rationalize them or at least um come to terms with how things are, especially in a city like Chicago, which of course I love. And, you know, most people that live in it do love the city, but yeah, there is gentrification. There's, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of segregation and communities where it's like, well, here I'm okay. There, not so much. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that that's the case to where, you know, I have vivid memories of visiting my grandparents on the South side. And of course, every time, my dad was like, lock the doors. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so. That's kind of the thing that we're trying to, I think, a little bit get at with this movie. is like, it almost makes me, un- it makes me uncomfortable a lot of the times when you're just all around all, um, you know, white people from the suburbs or whatever. And people talk about these areas like, you know, um, don't, don't go there. You can never go there. And I think that type of, uh, that type of language kind of almost feeds into um, keeping yeah. keeping it that way. Definitely, because it's just something that's been ingrained for so long, right? Yeah, sad but true. Um, and also, it was like you know we were very much trying to make this movie about this character and his psychology because we were feeling frustrated with everything that was going on and the way this all these problems with the city. And it was like, we need to make a film that addresses these issues. But then it's like, well, we can't make that film. That's in no way our place mm-hmm. to, to like tell someone else's story. So we tried to tell the story of someone who wants to help and tell that story, but and actually has no place in doing it and actually has all this subconscious racism that yeah. we're telling yeah. that story completely, uh, you know, that would not be the, the accurate presentation of that story. So that's where the movie kind of plays into uh, kind of racial caricatures almost where it's like satirizing these B movies because this is like his suburban view of this neighborhood once he goes there. I would say it's, it's kind of also in some ways it's like about the dangers of putting your foot in your mouth when you're trying to like, Mm -hmm. like you're trying to come off a certain way, but it's like, it's actually just entirely for you to hear yourself speak. Yeah, it's just yeah. about inflating. It's for ego. You're not yeah. helping because you you want to help. You're helping to make yourself feel better. Yeah, he's giving out meat in the south side not to actually help and make a difference. If he wants to do that, he could come during reasonable hours, not at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. And he could help out in like a, a food kitchen, donate, right. run a drive. And, yeah. and the, the reality is he's doing it solely just to like make himself be like look how great i am like it's almost like you know like he would if this movie was made today he'd be like taking selfies of himself handing out meat or something yeah Yeah, it is like a selfish character study and but you touch upon those issues without being heavy-handed about it which is what i love 
Like, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah because thanks. I mean, really, it's kind of like a Rorschach painting to where you just sort of you gauge exactly where you stand, um, but you're also sort of uh, it's a, a little bit like you're on a roller coaster with this character and trying to, you know, at some points try to understand what he's doing, but then really resent him and reject his behavior, especially when he gets to such a violent extreme, which is still very, very shocking. Um, the convenience <laughs> store scene. Get the fuck out, man! What was it like shooting that? Loads of fun. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Where we shot at was like right by an apartment that Zach and I lived at for three years, and we used to just go there. Like every day, pretty much. Pretty much every day. Because we were having a lot of trouble finding somewhere where we could walk in and be like, all right, we need to shoot at your store. We need to have blood effects, uh, fake guns, machetes, and... Man in his underwear. Man in his underwear, and we, we're not going to pay anything. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, we drove around all day trying to find places, and then eventually it was just like went to there, and the guy was like, oh, you're a great customer, so uh, I want to say yes. So Nice. Yeah, I think this is a good point to kind of just uh, recognize... We're we're beyond a low budget movie. We're like people say micro budget, and they they're talking five hundred thousand. <laughs> we're we're like five thousand. So this movie really it was it was a lot of fun to make because it was a lot of going to places where people would give up their space and their time, sure, mm-hmm. just just to watch and be a part of it. And I still go into that grocery that little convenience store, and they like totally kind of casually ask about it, and like they were taking pictures and. Uh, you know, it's just really the kindness of uh, small businesses is like something that's one of the my favorite aspects of like making an independent film. Totally, and it couldn't. This movie couldn't have been done without the help of those small businesses. Absolutely. Yeah, God bless those people when they're really open-minded to do that. And you know, well, help, help. You know, Kevin Smith shot shot Clerks for what twelve grand. You know, so mm-hmm. when you have that sort of almost go for broke gorilla style of filmmaking, it's exciting. It, it really is, and that's part of the joy of watching this film. And I'm also I'm just curious too about your experiences seeing this with a live audience, particularly at like Fantasia, where there may not be a Chicago centric crowd there. What was their reaction, and what was the experience of going to a film festival with your film? Um, like, yeah, we just. Uh- it was about the premiere, right? And bringing yeah. it to Fantasia. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, a lot of the Chicago stuff didn't necessarily translate to people. Um, mm. It was either they were asking questions about it, or it was like, "Whoa, Chicago! That place is insane!" You know. So uh, their their perspective on it was a little different, and it was also just uh, very nerve wracking <laughs> bringing it to Fantasia. None of us had watched. Uh, you know, a movie like this that we had made with a full audience before. So um, it's definitely not a crowd pleaser. And we knew that going in. And when people watch a movie, like I love, I love Fantasia. I love the experience. That was amazing. But when Fantasia is a very genre film focused festival. So when people see Meathead goes hog wild, 
they they probably thought it was going to be just yeah. craziness, like like, uh, like a trauma movie or something. Yeah, like a trauma yeah, exactly. movie, exactly. Yeah, but it's not Toxic Avenger. It's like a little slow, observational. So, like, I think it was a movie that definitely it kept playing better as the film went on. People mm-hmm. took a minute to acclimate to the tone because there was there was no trailer. There was like really nothing. It was kind of like taking a chance on three guys from Chicago on a with no stars and. So at first it was quiet, but it was like uh, kept getting better and better as the movie went on. And by the end, especially with the convenience store kind of massacre, I think we won yeah. over the crowd, which was fun. Nice. Yeah, you could tell that everybody was just waiting for. This. Yeah, yeah. Like, when, I mean, when is there going to be blood in this movie? And so, like, when someone literally said, "Finally, someone really got the finally." Yeah. So wow. it's like, okay, that's why they're here. It's like, yeah, they want to see Yeah. It. The people at Fantasia could not have been nicer. The atmosphere Seriously. is amazing. The culture is just people that love movies. And, right. like, it's a festival. If 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 I could, I'd be there every year. It was oh, amazing. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. That's great to hear. Really. Best experiences of my life, for sure. Nice. Um, did you guys have a QA? and a We did. Mm-hmm. Did you get any interesting questions? From the audience, I'm curious. Um, definitely got questions just about asking about Chicago and just sort of mm-hmm. what the you know yeah. backstory is on that. People are always curious about Chicago and then the the three directors. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, you guys just basically work as a team and sort of you know run things past each other as in a huddle, <laughs> basically. <laughs> We should we, huddle more. We should, actually, <laughs> we should huddle more. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we, it's a quality huddle. Uh, <laughs> this film, we, we wrote it all together and spent a lot of time writing. So I think we were all kind of on the same page in the sense that, like, sure. y- if you asked one of us a question and then asked another person a question, you'd get the same answer. Definitely. So it was a lot of, like, especially with being having a crew of, I mean... We had a sound guy who was there every day. Um, well, one time he was, and, and our friend Abby subbed in. And then uh, <laughs> this guy, Peter, who came in, stayed on the couch, and just literally was just – he was great. He just helped out. So it was kind of the three of us doing a lot of different positions while we were shooting. So it was like kind of like mm-hmm. we were able to kind of rotate in when we were needed. And kind of fill in and kind of play like a, a zone defense of a direct, <laughs> zone directing. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. zone. It was not man to man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Um, I guess for my final question, you know, what are your future plans for upcoming projects? Anything in the works as a team again from all three of you? Um. Yeah we we shot another uh, project uh, in August. Ooh. Currently editing it, uh, all three of us, same same deal. Yeah, if if people watch the film um, Meathead, the there's a kind of a charismatic homeless man in the movie. Ah, yes. And uh, he's actually a he's a Hall of Fame architect as well. He's he's more than more than a bum. And <laughs> yeah. uh, he the movie nice. entirely centers around him and his kind of pursuit of his granddaughter. Don't want to give too much away, but. Mm-hmm. So if you if you liked that character after you watch Meathead, there's a whole feature of him coming. So. <laughs> yeah, sweet, yeah. that's a yeah. great idea. There should be more spinoff movies from other movies. That that's a good idea. Like you you, you get you know you a supporting character really stands out in the film. They should get their own movie. 
Right. That's and a good. He, that's a good idea. He's definitely not the same character. It's just, but it's the same actor, and and yeah. that character sure. was a lot of his his persona that like uh, his just real life persona was kind of in that in that character. So it's yeah. So in a way, he's a it's a similar guy, but basically, he's just not homeless in the <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, it's kind of like a detective, surreal detective comedy, old man looking for his granddaughter. Um and uh yeah, we'll see. Hope it's probably going to be a feature um likely a, sh- a shorter one, but yeah, we'll see. it's kind of exciting. Yeah, <laughs> wait. It's a lot different than Meathead, which is what attracted us to it. Yeah. Right. It's almost the polar opposite. <laughs> Not a lot of screaming and blood this time around. I think there's no blood. Yeah. Wow. So it's 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 a, it's more of a it's kind of like a at it's very early but at this current stage it's leading more towards like I guess we we're talk like a Richard Lester farce kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Totally. We yeah. just wanted to make something fun yeah. and just really sure. watchable um after Meathead. Yeah, I think dealing with so many heavy issues with right. Meathead, it's like dealing with all of the heavy issues at once and it was like kind of exhausting to make that movie and sit there and watch it over and over again while you're <laughs> working on it it was <laughs> kind of took a toll on or at least i don't know i can't speak for everyone but for me it kind of took like a psychological toll to make that movie so then it was like all right let's let's make something that's just fun and we'll have fun while we're editing it instead of being like, Oh my God, this is really draining. Yeah. yeah. No, I definitely agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we're, we're all proud of the end result of meathead, but it, it's just kind of one of those things where it's hard to sit in that for a long period of time oh, yeah. or like for that to fully like be like, who you are represented by is like, <laughs> yeah. like, especially I know for Kevin, it definitely like, like, People all the time. Kevin didn't speak to this, but I think it's very true. Was when we, whenever I had a Q and A with Kevin, people almost didn't recognize him at first. Like, yeah, it, it was like, oh, you're Meathead. Like, like people, yeah. like it's a very different character. So it's right. it must be it's very hard to live in that kind of mindset, and for right. people to identify you as <laughs> Meathead is yeah. <laughs> When we screened at Philadelphia, um, Eric, Eric Bressler, who runs the Cinadelphia Film Festival, he uh, <laughs> he thought I was you, Sean. Yeah, yeah. he was just <laughs> like, "Where's Kevin?" Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, um, yeah. Which is funny because you're the only one that anyone knows what they look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's a, a reason why, like, the Coen Brothers kind of flip flop sometimes between style and sensibility with. Um, like doing something like bleak, like inside Lewin Davis. Well, then they have to go on to do something like Hail Caesar. Cause absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. that's there's something very true to that because while people only live like, you know, sometimes when you watch a really heavy movie, it can be an hour and a half and you're like, Ooh, what a heavy one. But it's <laughs> yeah. like the person that made that movie has lived inside that thing. Oh yeah. For two years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, totally. If not longer. Wow. So, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So it's like, it's 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 very interesting to be like how you kind of change over the course of a movie. Mm-hmm. Well, Sean, Kevin, and Zach, uh, again, congratulations on the film. I think it brings a lot to the table in terms of style and thought-provoking material, all while being ridiculously entertaining and darkly funny. <laughs> oh, so, well, thank you. thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. So, if people want to buy, stream, or rent Meathead, where can they go? 
Um, it's streaming on Amazon Prime and Google Play. And you can get the DVD on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Best Buy, Target, right? Target website? Sure. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, there's a limited edition Blu-ray that is available at BrinkVision.com. It's got, a, got some cool special features, including us talking about the movie, a little commentary track, and yeah. the short film that we uh, referenced earlier in the uh, interview. Yes. Very good. Well, if it's available at Target, I imagine this has got to be available at Walmart, right? Oh, (laughs) maybe. Definitely not in the store. You got it right. Online only. (laughs) There was this place called Deep Discount that the three of us used to hang out all the time in Naperville. And uh, when it was a store, and I got positively giddy when it was on their website. (laughs) It was like the thought of it was was probably one of the cooler, the cooler things. Definitely. Yeah, it's kind of like going into um, record stores and seeing one of my CDs in the used CD bin. Like it's part sad, but it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm like yeah. excited that it's there anyway. That's, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's my dream is that I'll see it on a torrent website. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I hope to see more work from all of you in the future. And thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah thank you. Teach you must die. The Food and Drug Administration will tell you meat is the perfect combination. See, cows live under fear and stress, trying to think what's going to happen next. Fear and stress can become a part of you, in your cells and blood, this is true. So when the cow is killed, believe it, you preserve those cells, you freeze it, thaw it out with the blood and season it. Then you sit down and begin eating it. In your body, its structure becomes your structure, all the fear and stress of another. Any drug is addicted by any name, even drugs... But it was weird because we had such a terrible delay that I had to wait like 30 seconds... A very oh, no. awkward, uncomfortable thirty seconds for him to reply to my answer or my questions. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh man! <laughs> Every time I kept thinking, oh my god, did I say something that pissed him off? Yeah, <laughs> just everything screened with awkward silence. Yeah, but that's what editing is for. <laughs> <laughs>